Hi, I'm Olaomi Brigway, and I began to experience all-round supernatural success in my life when I finally accepted that no matter how hard a person works, they will never rise above their level of thinking. Are you looking for transformation from the inside out? Then join me on the Super Abundant Life podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Super Abundant Life podcast, where we tackle real issues by examining the lives of real people and extracting real life solutions that are rooted in the wisdom of God. This is your host, Olaomi Brigway. Hi, Olaomi here and welcome to episode 41 of the Super Abundant Life podcast. So today I'm talking about money and what I'm going to be talking about is, so I've titled it the 10 faulty money stories that block financial prosperity. 10 faulty money stories that block financial prosperity. If you ask almost any Christian, almost any, not all, they will tell you, if you ask them, do you believe that God wants you to prosper financially? They'll say, yes, I believe God wants me to prosper. I believe God wants my needs met, right? Um, but if you ask the same, you know, sample of people and say, are you prospering financially or are your, are your needs being consistently met to the point where you are living in the overflow in abundance? Um, quite a number of people that said yes originally to what the will of God is concerning financial prosperity would end up saying no to the second part of that question. They'll say, well, my needs are not met to the degree that I want it to be met. There are things that I that are in my heart that I want to do, but I'm actually not seeing those things done because... I don't have the funds of the money or the finances or the financial power or the earning power to be able to, you know, achieve those things, to be able to um, have the kind of lifestyle that I would love to be able to, you know, give my family or enjoy uh, personally. So there's a disparity. And as I, <laughs> as I always, always teach on this podcast, if there's any disparity between what the will of the Lord is and your own personal situation, it really boils down to one thing, the mind. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are two conditions. It says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, number one. Number two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to prove, meaning experience, what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Meaning, my mind needs to be in alignment and my physical environment. So I need to take the right set of actions for me to enjoy what God wants me to do. So I'm going to be talking about the uh, mind aspect of, you know, uh, a lack of financial prosperity. So the things that are blocking. So the way you think is actually determining your financial experience in life. Uh, I know not everybody would agree with that, but... Unfortunately, is the truth. <laughs> I wish I could say otherwise, but it's it's the plain truth. It's the plain truth. So I'm going to be going through 10, 40 money stories that are blocking you from enjoying financial prosperity, or at least the degree of financial prosperity that you may really have your heart set on. Okay. 
Now, there are three things that I want to highlight before I go to the 10 money stories. Um, just three points that I want to make before that. So the first one, you might say, what's a money story? Now, the first thing I want to impress on you is that everyone, every single one walking the face of the earth has a story about money. You might think, well, I don't think about money and money is just money. Uh, no, you have a story. <laughs> you have a story about money. There is something that is running, all right, in your subconscious where money is concerned. The same way there is a program that is running, uh, you know, regarding every other area of your life, regarding marriage, regarding parenting, regarding the work of your hands, whatever it is, regarding relationships, there is always a program that is running. And every single one walking the face of the earth has a program that is running in their subconscious and that is effortlessly regulating their financial experience regarding money. So everyone has a story about money. What do you believe about money? Okay. Um, some people say, you know, I have a desire to be wealthy. I want to be a millionaire, but if you really sit down with them and you talk with them for about half an hour, you can really gauge where they are, what their money story is. They will say things like, oh, well, um, money doesn't grow on trees and all those kind of things. You need to check what your money story is and money story is, and you need to also make sure that it's in alignment with your desire. Because if your money story is at odds or if it contradicts your desires, what leads, what, what you're going to end up with is frustration because your desire, which is your mind, your conscious mind, which is where desire is rooted anyway. So, oh, I, I, this is what I want. So you are consciously saying I have this desire, but there's a, uh, there's an unconscious story that is running. You need to renewing the process of renewing the mind is making sure that your conscious and subconscious are aligned, you know, in accordance with the will of God. So if you say that, I know that God wants me to prosper. Do you truly genuinely believe that? So everyone has a story. I'll give you an example of what I mean by a money story. And, um, I remember, so as, as a child, I grew up, you know, um, in Lagos, I grew up in Lagos and specifically in Yaba. Um, so for those of you that may be listening to this, I know Lagos quite well. Uh, so near university of Lagos, so it's actually the back gate of university of Lagos near QC, but Onike, like literally my street led, I, my house was about five houses away from, you know, like back gate. So that's why everybody else went to Unilag, right? Um, but I grew up on a street and sort of an area, almost like a cul-de-sac. So it was like middle class to upper middle class. So, you know, there were, you know how you have an area where, um, you, you know, I think minimum was like middle class, but then there are different levels, <laughs> there are different levels of middle class, right? So I, I grew up in a flat. So my parents, you know, we, we, I grew up, you know, living in a flat, um, and that, you know, it, it was a decent size, you know, nothing wrong with that. Um, but I remember the reason why I'm sharing these stories is I remember very clearly that right opposite, um, my house, right? So, my building, so my building was just literally two, two flats. So top flat, bottom flat, uh, directly opposite my house was this giant house. It was like a mansion. I'm sure if I go back, <laughs> and I look at the house now, it probably is smaller than for me as a child. I was like, wow, this is big house. As in, it was like three times the size of my whole building. 
a massive compound, like all sorts of cars packed in the compound. And by that standard, they were wealthy. So maybe not like uh, wealthy enough to own a private jet wealthy, but they were you understand what I mean? The kids would go on holiday like very regularly uh, abroad, uh, even at that time, etc. But my point is, growing up, <laughs> I there was like a divide. Like, okay, this you know on this on this side of the street, <laughs> these are the people that you know are like me. We you know the the, the on this side that you have the flats, and then on the opposite side of the road you have all the big houses and the mansions and everything. And as a child growing up, I I would look, you know, I would look at those big houses and the kids. Some of them around my age, some older, some younger. And I would look at them like, oh, wow, you know, they're just a different class of people. These are like the rich people. And I didn't realize that there was actually a story that was building in my own mind as a child. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell all this together. So I used to look at them like, oh, and they, you know, as far as I was concerned, the children, particularly the, the big house that was opposite to mine, they didn't really mingle right so I w- you would just see them driving out the the gates were always shut and you couldn't really see into the compound because everything was um is it blocked but as in you couldn't see so everything was walled and gated so you you, know, you couldn't see in the only time you could like peep is maybe when they were driving out and several cars in there so i i was like a little kid pressing my nose against the window and looking and like oh wow what would it be like to live in this big house to live in this big house and then somewhere along the line because we didn't really mingle or i didn't really mingle right with the children in the big house i eventually concluded that they were snobs that see all these rich people they can't even come outside and play and if you if, you know if you grew up you know in like the 80s and so on as a young child we used to come out and play you play uh on on the road in the compound da, 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 do games and then when it's like maybe four o'clock or, so, or five o'clock you'd go home um do your work or whatever but you would come out and play and i never really played with these people with the children in the big house in the quote unquote rich house so i i, I formed a story or a story formed in my in my mind right that ah oh, the the rich children are, are snobbish right they're snobs they you know they look down they're not nice they're not nice people they're not nice you know i i, I don't want to be like them because they're not nice they're not nice um and this the, i'm talking about as a young child as it i must have been i don't know six seven you know, all the way to maybe then going off to boarding school. Then I remember as a young teenager, maybe about 12, 13, came back from boarding school. And one particular summer after coming home, we just started literally, something happened. Um, and somehow I I got to know the children, um, the, one, the ones around my age anyways, I think two of them very close in age to me. And we just like literally got talking, etc. And do you know that whole summer we became so tight and I got to know them like, oh, wow, they're so nice. you know. Da, da, da. And I, what I now realized as in looking back, what I realized was this was actually my own very myopic view of life because my siblings and I, you know, I'm the last child. My older siblings were friends 
with the older children of the rich house, if that makes sense. So they were interacting with them, but I never saw that. All I saw was the children that were like around my age, they never talked to me. So they were, because they were rich, they never talked to me. And as a result of that, rich people and their children were snobs and they were horrible people. Therefore, I don't ever want to be a rich person. I don't want to live in a big house. I didn't realize that's what was going on, but that was the interpretation. Now that's a money story because whether you know it or not, these are the, the childhood is the entry point for a lot of the things that we're dealing with today as adults. Childhood is the entry point. Now what that would have done to me would have been, I would have, if, if, but for the mercy of God, where that story was rewritten, where I eventually connected with those two kids and I realized that, oh, they're just like me and they're lovely and they're nice. You know, there's no barrier. You know, in fact, they wanted to come and play, but you know, their parents are saying, no, don't go out and play or whatever it is. The same way my own mom, my own parents too were saying, no, don't play after four or something, go and read your books. So it was the same. It was the exact situation, but I was looking through very myopic, <laughs> you know, like a very small crack in the wall. And my interpretation was, if you have money or if you have a certain kind of money, then you're not a good person. If I hadn't gone through that summer where that story was literally shattered, it would literally, I would be, how, how would I ever be able to live in a big house or drive a nice car? It would Absolutely not, because I will continue to hold on to that story that if you have money that you can, if you live in a big house or your house is the biggest on the, on the street or whatever it is, then you can never be a nice person. Then you are evil in some kind of way. That's a money story. That's what I mean by money story. And these are things that are literally creating experiences where money is concerned. All right. Um, money stories in the Bible. I'll give two examples of money stories in the Bible. Abraham had a money story. All right. He went out to war and then a king said, oh, do you know what? Um, based on everything that we have gathered from this, from this battle that we fought, uh, I'm going to give you, I don't remember exactly. And I think he said, I'm going to give you half or something. And Abraham said, listen, I'm not going to take a single thread or anything from you lest you would say that you made Abraham rich. So what was his money story? That God alone was his source. That's a money story. All right. If you can't give me something, then it means you can't really take it away from me. He said, God was his source. God is the one that makes me rich. And he's the one that provides me the opportunities that will actually make me rich, not human beings. So Abraham's money story was God is the one that directs and orders my steps in order for me to be rich, not human beings. So if a, a human being comes into my life today and decides to, you know, carry all their advantages and walk away, you're like, okay, bye, because I'm fine. Because my wealth is not linked. My wealth is as a result of the blessing of God that is upon my life. That is a superb, that's where we really all should be um, aiming for in terms of the right money story. But then a negative money story in the Bible was Laban. Remember Laban? So Laban got to the point where he observed Joseph and he said, the reason why I'm wealthy is because of, no, not Joseph, is because of Jacob. 
right? Jacob said, I have observed. And he said, he said, I have observed that God has prospered me because of you. And he wasn't wrong. And he wasn't wrong. Now, bear this in mind. I'm not saying he was wrong. He wasn't wrong. But because he held on to that money story, he did everything he could to keep Jacob there because he genuinely believed that if Jacob left, all his wealth would live with Jacob. And that was exactly what happened to him. So he cheated Jacob. He found a way. So he, he promised him, you know, seven years, um, I'll give you a wife. He cheated him because I'm pretty sure the mo- from the moment Jacob got there, um, things began to improve. It was like, ah, I must do everything. I'm going to hold on to this guy f- with, you know, for dear life. He cannot ever leave this place. So he cheated him, said, you have to serve another seven years. These were all ploys. Then he kept giving him, you know, <laughs> he changed his wages. He never allowed Jacob to, you know, build his own life, right? He will say, I'm going to pay you the salary and then he'll cut it. Jacob said he cut his wages 10 times because he, he didn't want him to become independent because he felt if Jacob became independent, he would leave. And if he left, I'm finished. That's a money story. That's a money story. He hinged his prosperity on one human being. He didn't think, okay, hang on a minute. I can see that God is with you. Now, Jacob, can you teach me to how I can be right with God so that he can be my source and his blessing can come upon me? No, he, that money story that keep Jacob with you at all times basically um, regulated his life. And eventually he lost everything to the point that when Jacob said, okay, do you know what? This is what I want you to do. Just give me all the black sheep and all the spotted and so on. He carried, go and read this, Genesis somewhere. (laughs) He literally took all the black and spotted sheep and took, you know, told his sons to take them away so that Jacob would not have an inheritance so that he could stay with him forever because he saw that Jacob was his source of wealth. That is an example of a negative money story and how it plays out in our lives what we believe okay so everyone has a story about money no exceptions no exceptions everyone has a story the second thing i already sort of alluded to this is your money story was most likely if not 100 percent inherited from your parents how did your parents or whoever raised you or the authority figures in your life growing up, how did they relate to money? They transferred it to you. That's where your money story came from. It's by observation. These stories, when I say money story or a relationship story or your stories regarding how you relate with in a marriage or whatever it is, it comes from observation. It's not do as I say, it is do as I do. So that is the root of it. Satan knows how to go for children. You know, he went for Jesus Christ as a baby. He went for Moses as a baby, right? So he goes for the root. He went for, uh, who else? It's escaped my mind now. But basically these things come in in childhood. So if you want to, as I highlight those 10 money stories today, I want you to begin to think about where did this thing come from and how can I literally get rid of it? All right. Like for me, the money story was, Oh, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm sort of okay. I'm like in the middle. We're not poor. All right. But at the same time, I don't live in a big house with cars and drivers and all that. Uh, but the people that live in the big house with all the extras 
and that are rich, you know, they're horrible people, they're evil. I mean, how will your conscience, how would my conscience have ever allowed me to live in a big house? Because I had associated it with being evil. If that story had not been rewritten, there's no way, even if I tried, something will come and it will sabotage it. Because to me, living in a big house and being rich means you're evil. Who wants to be evil? No one. My conscience would not allow me to be evil, i.e. to live in a big house. So that's why I said these things come in in childhood. And number three, right? Um, number three, four things, actually. I can't say that I have four written down. Number three is your financial experiences in life can never rise above your money story. So whatever it is you believe about money, that is exactly what your situation will be financially. So if you want to know what your money story is, sit down and look at your life. Sit down and look at your life. And I don't want to get ahead of myself by naming some of these money stories. But as I begin to highlight it, um, basically what I'm saying is this. Don't, you know, be open-minded. Don't say, I don't have a money story. <laughs> Just at least listen. And then if none of the 10 resonates with you, then you're free to like move on. Okay. But at least be open-minded. So you, your situation, your financial experience can never rise above your money story because your money story is a limiting belief. It's a confirming belief. So it will literally build boundaries around you that even if somebody invited you out of that little boundary that you're in, you will find a way to bring yourself back in, right? You will find a way to, a way to bring yourself back in. The Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is that's number two. Number three. Number four is that now this is the one that some people <laughs> that you may that may not you know, I, I think this may rub some people of the wrong way, but again, it is the truth. Please be open minded. Number four, the num, you know, the fourth truth that you need to know about money or about money stories is when you find yourself criticizing other people's money habits, particularly as what you would call excesses, it's actually only a true reflection of the state of your own heart. What do I mean by that? Let me share a story in order to explain what I mean. Remember when the um, the woman with the alabaster box came and she anointed the feet of Jesus, right? So she came to this, you know, very expensive, very expensive jar of oil. Uh, the Bible says that it was equal to the wages, a man's wages, not a woman, a man's wages for a whole year. So that's a lot of money. All right. If we go by standards here in the United Kingdom, let's say even, the, even if the person is on like bare minimum, let's say 18,000 pounds, right? Imagine taking a, you know, a jar of oil that is worth 18,000 pounds and then throwing it at the feet of Jesus, literally in, in Judas's estimation, wasting it. Now Judas looked at it and said, what a waste, what a waste. How couldn't you have taken this thing and sold it and then fed the poor, right? To someone that's observing, you think, wow, that's wisdom. This Judas, you know, that you're making sense. That So he was criticizing the woman and he was criticizing Jesus because he was like, Jesus, why would you let her do this? Don't we have the poor to feed? But the Bible talks about how the reason, the real reason why Judas said that was because 
he was stealing money. So there was a fault inside him that made him criticize. It it had nothing to do with what he thought, you know, the woman or Jesus, right, were doing. It was literally because there was a fault inside him and it was that fault that was speaking, right? Let me give another example. So someone drives in, um... A friend of yours that, you know, literally walks up and, you know, wants to come and visit your home and you hadn't seen this friend in a long time. And then this person drives over, let's say in a Mercedes Benz or a BMW or I don't know, let's, let's look for something quite outrageous. So drives up in, um, a Rolls Royce. All right. So they pull up and uh, Rolls Royce. Ah. Wait, you know, and then you immediately start to think, why would you be driving a Rolls Royce? You know, why can't you? <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what you know, we might say in that situation, but you think this is excessive. Why would you buy a Rolls Royce? <laughs> All that money. Why can't you use it to build a house? Da, 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 da. Now, what I'm trying to point out here is the reason why you have a problem with what they have done is because you are not yet on that level mentally. Do you understand what I mean? You have a problem with it. They don't necessarily have a problem with it. It's a, you're literally just reflecting or unveiling the state of your own heart. Now, right or wrong, whether they should have a Rolls Royce, I'm not saying whether in this case, I'm using that example as a neutral thing. What I'm saying is you're not really criticizing them. What you're doing is you're showing where you are. So you're saying, I'm not the kind of person that would be okay with owning a Rolls Royce. That's the point I'm making. All right. You're saying, you're showing what is in your heart. You're literally showing it. So whether the first thing is you need to at least acknowledge that that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. So you now need to sit down because if you secretly actually want to drive a Rolls Royce or whatever or similar, but then you find yourself criticizing someone that's already there. You need to sit yourself down and say, ah, I've been deceiving myself. Do you understand what I mean? So it is literally unveiling. When you find yourself criticizing someone's quote unquote excesses, it's showing you that you are not yet at that level in your heart. Now you may be okay with that and say, I never ever want to go to that level, right? Whatever that level might be, but make sure it's an honest evaluation of the situation okay so the same way i as a young child looked at the people in the big house and said oh they're horrible they're evil it was basically showing me that i'm not on you know i i don't believe that i can live in a big house so because of that i found a way for my own mind to be able to just not feel bad do you understand i came up with something that made it okay for me to be where i was at that point in time all right, which is quite different to what I truly, I wanted to live in the big, who doesn't live in a nice house? <laughs> uh, every, I don't, I don't know anybody that doesn't like, you know, living in a nice house. Okay. I, I hope that makes sense. You know, that is a very important point. When you find yourself sort of pointing fingers, particularly with ma- material things, and you're saying, ah, that isn't, that isn't that excessive. Check your heart. All right. Check, check properly. Okay. And, <laughs> and make sure that is not just a coping mechanism for your heart to not want to go and jump in the river, basically. 
okay? Because the Bible teaches us that the reason why Judas was pointing fingers and criticizing what he called excesses was literally because there was a fault. There was something wrong with his own thinking. He was stealing money. So it was showing that it's because you're stealing money that you're saying what you're saying. All right. I don't want to spend too much time on that. So I'm going to move on. So those are four things that you need to be aware of when money stories are concerned. Okay. Right. Okay. Now let's go on to the 10 money stories, the 40 money stories that are at odds with financial prosperity. If you say, I want to prosper financially and financial prosperity is subjective for someone it's to be a billionaire for someone is to be a millionaire for someone is whatever it might be. Okay. It's all subjective, but whatever your definition of financial prosperity is, these are 10 money stories, 40 stories that would prevent that will sabotage whatever your desire is regarding money. Okay. Number one, <laughs> number one, if you want financial prosperity, and my definition of financial prosperity is overflow. Okay. That's what I mean by financial prosperity overflow where you want to do something and you can just get up and do it. Okay. Um, you want to help someone, you can just get up and help them. You want to, um, invest in something, you can just get up and do it. Okay. That's what I mean by financial prosperity. So the first one is the story that all I need is whatever is required for me and my family alone. That's a money story. Said so if I can just get all our bills met, if we can just make sure that the mortgage, the car, the, the, the everything is paid, I'm okay. That's a money story. And it's a faulty money story. Why is it a faulty money story? Ephesians 4.28 says, now look at this. I mean, this is the bare minimum of the desire that any of us should have. Paul was writing to the Ephesians church and he said, let him who stole steal no longer. So he didn't even say, okay, stop stealing. No, it's bad. Stop stealing so that you can at least go and work so you can eat and stop stealing. He didn't say that. He said, let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands. What is good that he may have to eat? No, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now he's not even saying those of you that are working, you know, you know, and you are comfortable. No, go and work so that you can have something to give. Someone that is at, literally at the bottom and that doesn't have any work and then is stealing to eat. Paul said, you, your, your minimum is not to get to eat. Your minimum is to get to give. And how can you give if your own needs are not met? So the minimum for any child of God, according to what we have seen in the Bible is not for my bills to be met. That is such a limiting belief. You will never see that desire you have to be rich, that desire you have, you know, to prosper financially. You will never get there. If in your mind, you have come to believe that as long as my family are fine, I can send my children to school. We can sort out our retirement da, 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 and all those. If that is your level of thinking, then it will keep you trapped there. And is it is a trap to be honest with you. It is a trap. And I'll come to some other money stories later that are linked to this. The minimum as a child of God, as a Christian, because we're distributors on God's behalf. That's who we are. 
We're distributors on God's behalf. That's who we are. The minimum is you have enough to give. Absolute minimum. So that is a faulty money story. He now also says in 2 Corinthians 9 that now God who provides seed. And this is the reason why, you know, I said, if all you're thinking about is as long as my family and I are fine and needs are busy, uh, needs are met, we can maybe go on holiday once or twice a year. And as long as all that is in place, we're fine. And you don't have the constant desire striving to break into the overflow where you can give on a mad level you would actually, you know, and you say, oh, you know, that's, I want financial prosperity. But your thinking is that, listen, I can't kill myself as long as (laughs) we have what we need. The rest is okay. God says that he provides seed for who? The sower. Bread is easy. Says he gives bread for food, bread to the eater. So the person I just described is the eater. It is just for them to consume and God will give you bread. He will meet your needs. But guess what? Bread, you can't, if you try and go into your backyard now and plant bread in your garden, you won't get anything back. Because bread is supposed to be consumed. You eat it and it's gone. It's gone forever. But seed brings a harvest. Seed multiplies. And who does God give seed for multiplication to? It's not the eater. It's the sower. Is the sower and says he will multiply your supply of seed and bring you a harvest. You will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous on every occasion, which is producing thanksgiving to God. That is the minimum for any child of God. So if you have this money story that, listen, as long as, you know, we're fine, then it's okay. I, I, I don't really want much more than that. You're operating way below way below the capacity that God has put inside you. That's number one. Money story number two. Hmm. Some people, a lot of people actually believe that hard work and good character. So moral character, the person is a nice person. They don't steal. They just are good. Basically they're morally good. So hard work and moral, morally good character alone will cause you to prosper financially, will cause money to come to you. (laughs) It's not true. It's a faulty money story because look around you. How many hardworking people do you know that are poor, that can't meet their needs? How many good people do you know that are also hardworking? They have a good heart and they're hardworking. They will serve, they will do everything, but they can't meet their needs. It's because it's much more than that. There's a kind of thinking that is required to break into financial prosperity. The point is, it is much more than just working hard and being good morally. I'll give you two examples. In 2 Kings 4, the Bible talks about a widow now, see what his widow said. So her husband had literally just died. And her husband had served Elijah. Is it Eli- Elisha? Pardon me. Had served Elisha faithfully for many years. See what she said. She said, one day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you. So this guy was hardworking. He served He said, my husband who served you is dead and you know how he feared the Lord. So he was morally good. He was a solid quote unquote Christian. 
He spoke, he kabashed, he spoke in tongues. He probably maybe healed the sick, raised the dead. As in, this guy was on point spiritually, yes? And he was hardworking. But he now says, now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. The man died. He didn't just die in poverty. He died living his family in captivity. They were about to take his two sons as slaves because he, he died penniless. He died in debt. So to say, oh, I'll just work hard. Hard work is all it takes. Hard work is all it takes. And as long as I don't steal anybody's money, then God will bless me. And yeah, God rewards hard work and God rewards moral character. But what I'm saying is there's another condition. The way you think is the third and important. Without that, there's certain principles that money will obey. Money does not respond to emotions. Money does not say, oh, this is such a good person. You know, they, they really have a heart for God. They really want to do this thing. Let's just go. No, no. Money responds to principles. And if someone does not obey the principles of money, no matter how good you are, no matter how hardworking you are, money will avoid you like whatever the metaphor <laughs> or analogy might be. Okay. I have a statistic here to, you know, statistic here to read to you. It says in the United States in 2017, 7.2 million people aged 65 and above at that time lived in poverty. And that is about 14% of adults, 65 and above. Now, is it possible that out of those 7.2 million people, that all of them were lazy? And all of them were thieves and crooks and all that. It's not possible. Let's even say the majority, at least 1 million of them, right? Worked out probably from maybe age 16 or 15. They started working. Maybe some worked two, three jobs, right? Maybe they never stole a dime. Maybe they were morally good, but they still ended up living in poverty because there's certain rules that money will obey. Money is principled. Money is not emotional. So it's a faulty money story to think as long as I keep working hard. It's the same way it's a faulty story to think as long as I keep working hard and I'm good at work, they will promote me. Promotion is not by working hard. There's certain other principles that you need to obey in order for promotion to come. It's the same thing with money. It's the same thing with money. So that's number two. That's the second faulty belief. The third one, the third one <laughs> And this is the one that I, I told you I shared with you my story. <laughs> I saw people living in a big house and I thought, oh, they must be evil. They are not talking to me. They're snobs. They're just horrible. You know, they're just strolling and out of their house. I see they own the whole place and that kind of stuff. The third faulty belief is a money story is that money is evil. Okay. That money is evil. That ah, if you have money, money will turn your heart to, right? That's the, it's a money story and it's faulty because money is neither good nor evil. Money is neutral. Money is a tool. And this is what God has shown me, has, you know, taught me over the years that money. In fact, I have something on my vision board, you know, that I put there. Money is a tool that is used to demonstrate God's love to me and through me. It's a tool. 
So if, if I believe that God wants me to be financially prosperous, money is the tool that will bring that financial prosperity or the kind of lifestyle that I believe God wants me to have into my life and then through me. So I see money as a tool. It's a tool. It's not good and it's not evil. Jesus used money like a tool. He said, okay, we need to pay the taxes. Okay, go and find, go and fish. The first one you catch, there'll be a coin. He used it as a tool. He, it was neither good nor bad. He received money from women that supported his ministry. He didn't say, ah, oh, I think one of them was, he said, the wife of Herod's, um, something, Herod's prime minister, not prime minister, like a higher official, I forget now. The wife of, one of Herod's like top official. Why didn't they say Herod that is not, you know, properly a Christian? You know, he saw it as a tool. It was a tool. He didn't say, oh, because he came out of Herod's palace, the money is tainted. It was a tool. Right? So it's a faulty money story to see money as evil. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's when people begin to, see money as what it is not as a living entity is simply a tool it's a tool of exchange and i see money as a tool that allows god to bring you know to demonstrate his love to me and through me so it's on my vision board it's only a tool to demonstrate the love of god to me and through me the bible talks about how you say oh you have faith you are you're saying oh i love you my brother and the person's hungry and they're thirsty and they're cold and you're saying oh you know the I, the love of god be with you the great and you pray for them and you don't give them something to eat where where is your faith says your faith without works is dead so it's a tool it allows me to be able to see someone that is hungry or, or or naked and to be able to demonstrate the love of god in a practical way money is a tool it is neither good nor evil so when we attach goodness or evil to money, there's a problem there. Because you, if you think money is good, you, you will chase it. That's where the love of money comes from. You will start running after it. But no, it's a tool. It's neither good or bad. And if you think it's evil, no matter how much you say you want to prosper, your conscience will keep sabotaging that desire because who wants to be associated with evil? Right? And let me show you from the word of God, that money is a tool. In God's eyes, money is a tool. This, l- listen to this. First Timothy 6, 17 to 19. This is Paul talking. He said, remind the wealthy among you to be rich in remarkable works of extravagant generosity, willing to share with others. He says, these investments will provide a beautiful foundation for their lives and secure for them a great future of righteousness. Do you know what he's saying there? He said, oh, those that are rich, eh? Oh, here's what you need to do. Make sure you help those that are not. So it's a tool to demonstrate the love, to make sure that nobody lacks. Everybody is lifted up to the point where they are equally in financial prosperity or financial abundance. Money is a tool. To believe otherwise, you will sabotage what you that you say I have a desire to be prosperous. It is literally sabotaging it. If you attach morality to money, all right, people that attach morality to money, that's where the problem starts. If you love money, you say I money's good, I love it. You chase after it and you you know we we know that it's the root 
a lot of the things, the atrocities that we see around us, it is because of money. If you dig, 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 it's, there's money there somewhere. Somebody that had loved money above maybe human beings, for example. Okay? That's number three. Number four is this. You say, what leaves, when money leaves your hand, it is gone forever. That is in another faulty money story. So someone says, oh, come on, buy this, come on. We live in an ecosystem. So what goes around comes around. We actually live in an ecosystem. When money leaves your hands, right, it is literally creating an impact in someone else's life. So if I walk out of my house now and I decide I'm going to walk down to the shops and I'm going to buy, um, oh, I don't know. I'm going to buy something. I'm going to buy a book. Okay. I'm going to go and buy a book. I say, oh, you know, I've, I've spent 10 pounds and I've left. You know, I've, I, the money is gone. No, no, the money is not gone. <laughs> the physical money, 10 pounds may have left my hands, but here's what's happened because it's an ecosystem and you know, you know what an ecosystem is. So it's an ecosystem. It left my own hand and it's going to do good for somebody else, the person that sold me the book. All right. That's number one. And then I have received something into myself that even though the money, the physical paper is gone, I it's, I'm receiving, um, whatever, as I begin to read the book, the joy that I get from it, the knowledge that I acquire from it. So money never really leaves your life. It just changes form. I hope that makes sense. The reason why this is a faulty and a dangerous thing is you will never invest. You won't invest in yourself because you think, ah, I can't, I can't afford that. So you mean I should go and pay this to do this? You, you, because you think thinking once it leaves my hand, it's gone from my life forever. It's not gone. It can't be gone. It literally just changes form. I'll give an example. Maxine reminded me of this and you know, I wish I could go back and change it, but obviously you can't. Um, she, this, a few years ago, she just reminded me, we're just walking through the shopping center. She said, oh, and we passed, I think it was Disney or something or build a bear. And she said, oh, when I was, so, so I mean, I didn't even remember any of this. She said, oh, when I was four or five that, you know, she, she was begging me that sh- I should buy her, um, I'll say Disney. I think it was either build a bear or Disney, something in Disney, like a doll and something like that. I'm like, no, no, I'm not buying that for you. And at that time, I'm thinking, why should I waste my money on that? I'm not wasting my money on that. Because I thought, once the money left my hands, it was gone forever. I didn't see it as an ecosystem. Hear what I'm saying. So she, many years later, many, at least 10 years, as we walked by that shop, she remembered. And she said, oh, you know, I, I can never forget that day. That I just said no, and you didn't buy it. Now, I left a mark because of my own thinking about what money is. Someone might think, I, I judged and I thought, what is the value that I'm creating by buying, what, something for you to just play with for two days and then you get tired of it and move on. Because of that, I missed an opportunity to create a mark. How, how, how would I ever have guessed that 10 years later, she would still have that image. And like I said, these things come in childhood. I've sown a seed in her that 
Do you understand what I'm saying? That was much more than the 10 pounds I would have spent. The 10 pounds was nothing, but what it, it was going to change form into something else and create an experience for her as a little child that would stay with her for 10 years and beyond. I did not see it that way. I saw that I'm not wasting my 10 pounds because I thought once money left my hands, it was gone forever. No, we live in an ecosystem. Money doesn't leave your hands. It changes form and it will find its way back to you. That's what an ecosystem is. If you begin to open your mind and see it that way, if you buy a book, the money hasn't left your hand. It hasn't left your life. It's literally just changed form. All right. It's gone into someone else's life and it will find its way back to you because that's how an ecosystem works. So that is a, it's a faulty money belief to think, oh, if I put money in this, the money is gone. Because when that happens, you will miss opportunities that you need to invest in, particularly to create other experiences because you don't see the value in it. So that is the fourth one. Okay. Money does not exist in a vacuum. When it leaves your hand, it is creating an impact somewhere else and it will eventually find its way back to you. That's why the Bible says give and it will be given to you. That give does not only mean in church. It doesn't just mean put this amount of money in the, in the offering basket. No, when you give, when you release money, you have to see like it is coming back to you in one form or another. It is coming back. It's an ecosystem. It's part of an ecosystem. That's number four. Number five, you say that there's a shortage of money, so you have to hoard. Or another way of putting that is money is in finite supply. Finite supply. So when something comes, you just say, no, I'm not, I'm not releasing this. No, no, I, you know, it, it's finite. I, I can't, I can't get more. <laughs> Think about, they say that 80% of the, of the world's money is in 20%, if not less. I'm sure it's even less now. See, the house of 20, 20, if you see the way people throw money around, you know that money is not in short supply. It's only because you have believed that. Money is definitely not in short supply. There are people that are rolling in money. And again, remember, it's not because they're evil, because I can see your mind going and eh, they are crooks and they're drug dealers. Not all of them. Some are doing great and mighty things for God and they're ruling in money. Yes. So money is not in short supply. It is absolutely not in short supply. In fact, God didn't create us to have that kind of finite idea because when you hoard, all right, you say, ah, I don't know when another one will come or let me just hoard this one. You basically begin to diminish. How do I know? The, my, uh, Jesus talked about the parable of the man whose ground brought forth plenty. And it was like, wow, see this massive bonus or whatever it is and harvest. And so, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. So we're going to, you know, I'm going to sit on this money that has come in. I'm going to hoard it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to sit down and eat and drink and I'm not sharing. Nobody's coming near this money. I'm going to slowly, slowly use it for the rest of my life. That was a man's plan. His plan literally was, okay, I have enough here to live on for the rest of my life. So I'm just going to, you know, build a gate around it and just hold it in to myself. Not nobody is coming to touch this money. Only me. So he decided to hoard it. And we know the story. God said to him, tonight, your soul will be required of you. Why? Because you are not rich towards God. Because God never created us to hoard. 
right? Remember, it's it flows. It flows through your hands, right? You work to give. You don't work to eat. You work to give. You work to give. So when you find yourself hoarding and saying, ah, oh, no, 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 it's because you're afraid that no, you won't get more. And that's because you believe that money is in finite supply. But money is not in finite supply. It's not. <laughs> so that's a faulty money story. That's a faulty money story. All right? What God expected that man to do was to open up the band so he would keep what he would plant. So he didn't he didn't even have any plans of planting to bring forth more harvest. He just said, I'm done. I'm not even farming again. Okay? I'm finished. So he literally just said, we, we have enough now to last us for the rest of our lives. So we're just going to stay here and that's it. No. Then God said, you're useless to me. Oh yeah, I'll be coming. It's time for you to go home. You're useless now. If it's just about you, then you're useless to me. The fig tree. Jesus was hungry. The fig tree was supposed to give him something to eat. The fig tree said no. And Jesus cursed it. Said, you're done. Because you're not outward facing, basically. And the reason why people are not outward facing and why they hoard and why to collect 10 pounds from them, you, you almost have to cry blood, is because they believe that money is in finite supply. That's the only reason. They can say what they can say, I'm prudent, it's not true. This is not talking about being prudent. People hoard, you know, as in, for you see somebody in need or you know something that will be good for you. But to release five pounds, in fact, you will do um, cost analysis, the pros and the cons, and then you are hoarding because you genuinely believe that money is in finite supply. But you see, um, yes, we're seeing that God is a God of abundance. So it's a faulty money story. Number six. <laughs> Number six. Oh, this is the one that gets us, if not all of us, most of us. Because of what we were taught growing up, yeah, I think 90s and 80s and all that, right? In the church, that God gives money, that God gives money. And this is basically based on preachers. Um, and I'll explain this, just bear with me. Uh, somebody, you know, the pastor shares about how, you know, somebody just walks up and gives them a car and gives them a check for 20,000 pounds or a million naira or whatever it is and they'll go and speak somewhere and somebody just says oh you blessed me and they right okay because of that because of that people heard those testimonies and they they saw those examples and they thought me i'm a banker okay i work in a bank but as i give my offering what i'm going to do is i want to buy a car so I am going to give this offering towards the car and then somebody will come and knock on my door like they did for the pastor and they would give me a car. But the problem with all of that, with that money story is this. The Bible says that God gives you what? Power to get wealth. He doesn't give money. It says he gives power to get wealth. How? Through the work of your hands. What is the work of your, of the hands of the pastor? He's preaching. I think that's why people got confused. They didn't understand that the pastor's work, his career, quote unquote, was preaching. So if he goes somewhere to preach or to teach 
or whatever it is and he's laying hands and he's doing that's his job so it is from that stream that god will multiply to him do you understand that and god will also give him other ideas so what am i saying god will prosper you through the work of your hands it is not by sitting at home and then thinking that money is going to come to you somebody's going to come and knock on your door he says that prove me now and will i not send a blessing a blessing this is money he said a blessing that blessing is in form of opportunities it's in form of ideas it's in form of insights that would generate wealth so it's the power to create wealth. So if I give offerings and I believe and I sit down, I'm not working and I'm not looking out for those opportunities that would generate wealth, it will pass by and I'll still be sitting and waiting for somebody to come and walk up to me and say, I, God just laid upon my heart. Here is a check for 1 million pounds. I'm like, Oh, praise Jesus. (laughs) It's a faulty money belief. To think that God is going to come and give you money. It is. He prospers the works of our hands. He prospers the works of our hands. That's how he does it. So if you're working in a place, in an office, in an organization, and you are given, you know, you are given tithes, you are given offering, you are given, you're helping people, right? And you're expecting it to come back to you according to what God said. He said, you can't owe me right? He's not a debtor to anyone. So I will pay you back. God said he's going to pay you back in opportunities. So it is when it's, if a lazy person sits down and has that money story, they'll just sit down An opportunity comes and someone says, Oh, there's this project, you know, it's a bit, you know, wishy-washy. Um, it, it looks very challenging, but you know, I really think you can do, you can handle it. And so what's my own, I'm not doing, no, you know, come and be working more hours than I need to. I want to go home at four o'clock and that opportunity comes because it doesn't look like money, <laughs> we pass it up, not knowing that behind it is a blessing of God that will promote you financially. Money comes to us through ideas, through opportunities. He says it's the power to get wealth. It's not wealth. It's the power to get wealth. It's the power. He gives us favor. He releases his favor and his grace upon us to give us access in the places that will open up money, wealth to us. So unless you have that mindset shift and you just think money is just going to come to you independent of you, then it's a faulty money story. And that is what is keeping a lot of Christians in poverty, at least in, in well, keeping them away from what their desires truly are where money is concerned. Okay. So what number is that? I've forgotten. Okay. Um, that was number six. Oh, I need to speed up. Number seven. Number seven is this. Remember I said that money um, follows principles. Money is neither good or bad. Money is not emotional. Money is principled. It only responds to principles. So someone says, you know, basically, um, this is the money story of of feast then famine. Right? Boom, they're bust. You don't understand and you don't prepare for the seasons of life. You don't understand that life is in seasons. You don't understand that life is in seasons. There's a sowing time and there's harvest time. God said as, as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest time will not cease. Remember the guy that brought, whose ground bought for 
plenty harvest and though no we're not doing planting time no 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 we're just going to sit down and eat until and god said you're useless to me right the way this plays out this boom then bust boom then bust so you get a big bonus and then the next month you are absolutely broke the reason is this right you don't understand that life is in seasons the people that are truly wealthy they understand that life is in season so they know how to prepare in advance for times of leanness for times of leanness remember joseph he said there was going to be seven years of absolute abundance and then seven lean years so they gathered in to prepare for that so there are certain principles where money is concerned that we ignore because you think once money comes, it literally flows as in there, you cannot account for what that money has been used for. You have believed that if it comes now, I, that's it. Let's just enjoy life and forget about tomorrow. All right. That's a money story. You may, you know, you may have observed your parents where big money will come and there'll be so much in the house. And then six months down the line, it's all gone. Yeah. Ba- there's barely enough money to eat. That is a money story. That is a money story. Is that boom, then bust, right? Um, harvest, then famine. Feast, then famine. So you sort of eat everything now and then forget about the season that's coming after that. Joseph, I said, is an example. I read something from the Bible where Paul basically said, this is not a good way to live. First Corinthians 15 said, um, now, tell, he said, tell me, why did I fight wild beasts in Ephesus, if my hope is in this life only, what was the point of that? If the dead do not rise, then let's party all night for tomorrow we'll die. So that's what I'm talking about, right? Let, look, the money's here now. Let's just spend it. Tomorrow we'll die. Hear what Paul said. Foolish man, don't you know that what you sow in the ground doesn't germinate unless it dies? What does that mean? It means there is definitely a time is coming where you have to go through that leanness for there to be another harvest. So planting season cannot be escaped. So Paul said, people that think just about today that, listen, I have all this money here with me. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to plan for the future. I'm not going to invest into the future. Then what is waiting for you on the other end is leanness, famine. So that's a money story, right? Feast, famine, and then boom, then bust. The next one, the eighth one is I need money to fulfill my dreams. I'm not going to talk too much about that. Some people will not, they have business ideas. They have beautiful ideas, but they believe that unless they have money, they can't do it. That's not true. You know, you just need to go and read the Bible and see all over five loaves and two fish. Jesus wanted to feed 5,000 minimum number of people, right? Even in that situation, they had money and the money was useless. That's the point I'm making. Money is not that important. You have to understand that some dreams that God has placed in your heart, you just need to be willing to find out what do I have in my hands, lift it up to God in thanksgiving, and then he'll begin to open doors for more to come to you. So if he keeps sitting down until the money is ready and is able to provide the raw materials, etc., that I need, you will never move forward. I'm going to move on from that. Number nine, the ninth faulty money story is some people believe that. So the money story is that some people have money because they're lucky. 
So, oh, I don't even understand this one that was, you know, born to rich parents. That's why they are rich. All these rich people that were born, da, 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 da. The thing is because they have money, all right? And that is why they are rich. But I beg to differ. (laughs) And I'll explain what I mean. How many rich people do you know? And there's too much evidence to not accept what I'm saying here. And I'm also going to show you from the Bible. There are too many instances and stories about people that were wealthy and then they willed everything to their son or their daughter or whatever. And within one generation, the thing disappeared. Can you see that actually it has nothing to do with whether you're lucky to be born into a family or not. There are principles that money will only obey and respond to. It is not a matter of, oh, you know, this one's father is rich now. No, it doesn't mean that the money will stay. If the money stayed with the father and then the son does not understand the principles of money, the money will run from the prodigal son is an example. He took the inheritance, but he wasn't yet principled in the ways of money and the money flew from his hands. He lost everything. So if you sit down and think, oh, the reason why, you know, we're excluded from that club and the, you know, I can never really, you know, do that or be this or be that because my father was not, I was not really born. That's a money story that is stopping you from understanding that if you to learn the principles, then you can access what those people have. Nobody is excluded. Not a single human being is excluded. It's principles. If I learn and apply the principles of money, then I too can access that level of money. Okay. And I want to, you know, use this um, parable from the Bible to explain this, right? The Bible talks about a king that threw a great feast. And I've always wondered about this. Like, what kind of thing is this? So he, he threw a great feast and then he called all his friends and then he said, come and feast with me. And they said, they gave excuse after excuse. They said, oh, I just got married. I just bought this farm that I need to go and see. Da, da, da. And, you know, the guy got tired. I was like, I mean, I'm calling all the people that are on my level. They're not answering me. So he said to his servants, go into the streets and gather everyone that you can see, the blind, the lame. And, and all of that. And he got the servants brought them in and, you know, they were eating. And then, you know, this, this story is in Matthew 22. And it now says that there was a particular guest, one of the ones that had come off of the streets that was not dressed in the wedding garments, right? So he wasn't dressed properly for a wedding. So he stood out. He, he didn't look like someone that was meant to be there. So the king walked up to him and said, why are you not dressed you know, to be here in a wedding. And he, the Bible says that he had no reply. And because he could not justify why he was there and didn't fit in, what happened? The king said, cast him out. When I raised this thing, I'm like, yeah, you're not the one that said, go and gather anybody you can find. You say, how does that relate to money? But, oh my God, he relates to money in ways you cannot even imagine. Like I said, money responds to principles. If you see people operating at a certain level of financial prosperity, there is something in their mind in the way they think. There's something they know about the principles of money that they are engaging in, that money is flowing to them. Now, someone else brought from the outside, okay? This, this is basically what I'm saying. So the king, if you like it, so the king is rich and then goes basically to the street and grabs some, just anybody 
of the street and say, come in and then maybe gives the person a million pounds and says, now you are one of us. Okay. I've given you a million pounds. You're now a millionaire. But he said, because the person was not properly attired for that level. So they hadn't converted their mind to be able to operate at that level. They were eventually cast out. So they went back to where they started from. That's what I'm saying. It is not a matter of whether you are lucky or not. It is not a matter of whether oh, some people are just rich. No, it is principles. If you learn the principles and engage with the principles, you too will operate at that level. Even lottery winners is a fantastic example. People win. I mean, imagine somebody just literally dumping 150 million pounds into your lap and say, take free money. Statistics show that within two to three years, most lottery winners are, ba- are in a worse situation than where they started because they're like this king that went to grab somebody off the street, right? They didn't understand that money is, has, you understand, it only responds to principles. If you don't quickly acquire the knowledge and the principles and the mindset you need to be able to engage at that level, the money will literally flow through you. It won't stay with you. All right? It responds only to principles. You have to begin to see money like that. It's not some people have it, some people don't know. It flows where the right principles are being engaged. The right level of thinking is being engaged. And the last one is, hmm, hyper-spirituality. This one is something that affects a lot of us Christians. The Bible says it is better to give than to receive. And so because of that, too, we just want to give, 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 and never receive. So taking that to the extreme, right? You are the, someone that loves to do good. Now somebody wants to give you something back. Some, you are just like, Oh, I can't, no, it's okay. Someone wants to pay your compliments and no, 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 it's nothing. Someone wants, do you understand? Jesus is a perfect. Jesus received money. He wasn't shy. There were people, women that gave serious money to Jesus' ministry. When he was sending his disciples out to go and preach the gospel, he said to them, whatever house you enter, whatever they put in front of you, take it. He didn't say, say I'm a man of God. No, 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 I can't receive that. Jesus said, take it. Jesus was a giver as much as he was a taker. Until you believe that, you will keep giving. When God wants to bring back into you, you will never receive it. Because you're like, oh... You know, no, I'm humble. I can't receive. I know I can't. I can't. Huh? No. The Bible says that a laborer, the person who works, is worthy of his wages. So when you give, you must receive. So it's a faulty money story to just want to keep giving. And then when opportunities where God, because God is a God of principles. He's the one that said, give and it will be given to you. So if you have a problem with receiving, you are shortchanging what God really wants to do because God already has your heart as a giver. God is looking for givers so that he can give into them so that they can give at higher capacities, but you will be limited to that level. You will never break into real financial abundance. If you don't know how to receive, you have to know, you have to be absolutely comfortable with people giving you stuff. With people inviting you to do deals that you're like, oh, no, I, I just, you know, I just, you have to be comfortable with that. You have to receive as well as you give. Okay. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Those are the 10 money stories that limit, that block, that hinder 
financial prosperity. If you've located yourself in any of those stories, you literally need to begin to take the word of God and say, "Uh uh-uh, I've given a lot of examples from the Bible that you can use as your raw material. Those things don't serve us. They don't serve us. Money is a tool, all right? It's a tool by which God demonstrates his love to us and through us. It literally is a tool. Once you begin to see money like that, you would demystify a lot of the things that we hold on to that is actually keeping us in, in mediocrity where finances are concerned. That's me done for today. <laughs> I've gone a little bit longer than usual. Um, I hope you forgive me. So I'll be back next time. Uh, thank you. Bye.